like sometimes you'll see a work of art a something and you'll say that thing just changed everything it just mm-hmm. it was so wild that it, it it influenced so many other films afterwards. They mm-hmm. tried to be yeah, yeah. like a Pulp Fiction movie, or they tried to be wild. Well, people would ask me about that, and they go, hey, did that really bug you when there was a period of, it seemed like, five years in the 90s where like every crime film kind of had this yeah. like ironic bit, and they talked about TV shows and played music in a weird way, and, yeah. and everybody was a smartass. Right? Um, and they asked me, like, well, does that... Did that bother you? And I go, well, no, it doesn't bother me. One, I don't think any of them are as good as mine, so it just makes mine look better and better, and my dialogue look better and better. But you know, one of my favorite directors is Sergio Leone, and I always considered I was doing two traditional gangster films, like you know, Scorsese kind of Goodfellow kind of movies, what he was doing to traditional westerns when he did his spaghetti westerns. So then the fact that mine hit, and now the fact that I've, it, it wasn't that they were just trying to do Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. They were trying to exist in the same sub, subgenre of crime film that I had created, which is what all the other spaghetti westerns that came after Leone's had done. So the fact that it wasn't they were doing just Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction ripoffs, uh, I created a subgenre in gangster films that did not exist before, and they were trying to fill that subgenre. And that was fucking awesome. <laughs> Art and Jacob to America is presented by the good people at the Podbelly Network. My fellow Americans. We are fortunate to be alive. They need them to protect us from the number one killer in history. Protect us from the Central University. A study on why we kill 290 million people. It's called Hippocide. Google it. Hippocide. Google it. The world is coming to an end. Everybody wanted everybody. All the details about the flying bombs that we had in our possession. Had in our all right everybody welcome to episode 218 of the art and jacob do america podcast i'm your host in the place to be mr jacob p and sitting right in front of me is the brown recluse mr art trail art say hello to the millions and millions, what the fuck are you doing here, America? Lock yourself up. Um, Break anyway. yourself, fool. Break yourself. <laughs> slap yourself. Slap your mama. Anyways, um, guys, my name is Art. You are listening to the Art and Jacob Do America podcast. Guys, go to kmancoffee.com. Check out their entire inventory. They got some coffee beans. They got some hibiscus tea. They got some nitro cold brew. They have their cacao butter. They got all kinds. Honestly, I don't know what it is lately. I've been I I I started drinking a little bit of caffeine, trying to mix it in with my decaf, trying to like okay. okay, So I'm like, all right, riding that white horse again. Okay, yeah, I'm trying to you know trying to ride the white pony right now. (laughs) Uh, You know, just because you know I'm trying to just get a little more of that and like you know right now coffee to me is like 
what's like like C4 or what that <laughs> shit like that that does to me what like C4 would do to the average man okay so like right now I'm just trying to you know like I said we're just talking about fucking Taco Bell trying to work, poop that shit out Taco yeah. Bell or uh, coffee helps poop that shit out it does it um, really does but anyways guys go do the go check out their entire um, internet web store like dude they have so many things I don't know what holiday's coming up I'm sure a holiday's coming up. I'm sure a birthday's coming up. Check Veterans it all out. Day. Go out on a limb and stop buying that Folgers bullshit. As Quentin Tarantino once said, I buy the good shit. Yes. You're telling me, you're complimenting my coffee? I, 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 Miles, I buy the good shit. I know my shit's good. Um, this is the good shit. This is the shit that he was talking about. Um, this is caveman coffee. Yes. This is the top-notch shit out there, all right? Gourmet. Don't, don't fucking bullshit around with your Dunkin' Donuts coffee or whatever. Like, Just go straight to the source. Mm. Get the good shit. Start there. Take a picture of yourself drinking it. Tag us. Tag them. Tag Quentin Tarantino. Yes. We appreciate it. They appreciate it. And um, that's it. Type in America to check out for 15% off. There God you go. It that line right there and speaking of sponsors guys make sure you check out our other sponsor guys the great the powerful the flavorful el yucateco hot sauce guys the kings of flavor since 1968 that is 50 plus years of flavor town and when i mean flavor town i mean the best hot sauce that you will find on any shelf i guarantee it and just in case you cannot find el yucateco on your local grocery shelves or you know let's say you're you know at walmart or target or whatever and you're like hey guys we need to we need some more hot sauce and you cannot find it guys just cut out the middleman and go straight to shop enter promo code do america and art myself as well as the powers that be at el yucateco will give you 10 percent off your entire purchase and just like caveman coffee they got shirts they got shoes they got all sorts of things with an LU Tech logo on. And they don't just slap an LU Tech logo on there just to slap an LU Tech logo on there. No, they got some fun stuff there. They got foam fingers. They got hammocks. They got really fashionable clothes. I mean, right now I'm wearing a fucking, you know, uh, a shirt right now. Um, and they, they have shirts just like that at LU Tech. And just, guys, if you want, go there, buy all this stuff, enter promo code Do America. They'll give you 10% off. And speaking of getting 10% off, Guys, go to the great and powerful Nicole Smith Bosch's website at sucraapparel.com. Right here, I got a mug in front of me that is straight from uh, the Sucre Apparel store. Um, support her because she supports us. And she's got a bunch of badass t-shirts up there. You know, um, uh, I was mentioning the, the Witchcraft Kitty Cat t-shirt that yeah. she had last time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's got a lot of other amazing stuff on there, too. She's got some, you know, uh, you know, rhino shirts. She's got, you know, this tree shirt, you know, that... Uh, I don't want to butcher what it says, but it says that the the axe forgets, but the tree remembers or something. Some oh, yeah, deep stuff that. like that is badass. And then also too, that satanic shirt that she sent art a few months back too. So if you want to support great independent artists, guys, go to sucreapparel.com, enter promo code art and Jacob and the great and powerful Nicole Smith Bosch will give you 10% off your entire purchase. But guys, we are not here to talk about fucking caveman coffee, El Yucateco or trees that never forget the, being assaulted sexually assaulted by axes guys art what are we here to talk about today we're talking about one of our i think both of us we we both love this director we both appreciate all of his work mm-hmm. um most of his work uh quentin tarantino we're going to talk about our favorite movies maybe talk about some individual scenes maybe just goof around and have some fun oh yeah i might jump on this uh this table and uh Maybe jack it a little bit. Maybe I might dance maybe, like that that Puerto Rican princess in uh, uh, Death Proof. One of my favorite scenes oh, of yeah, all time. Yeah. 
Probably the best scene in the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Down in Mexico. What's what? funny is, and I don't want to just start it off just by talking about the music of Quentin Tarantino's movie, but I love that song, but I love it in the movie because whenever you try to look for like that version of that song, you know, outside of, you know, the movie, it's always like this really poor quality. Like you can tell like they were using tin cans to record, you know, down in Mexico. Uh, you can't really find it. But what Quentin Tarantino does, not only does he love cinema, but he also loves fucking music. And he like, I didn't know this, but like he like remastered that just for his soundtrack. And I was like, fucking damn it. And you cannot find it on Apple yeah, Music. Yeah, it's a great song. You literally have to go out and buy like, you know, the vinyl or like try to, you know, locate, you know, the CD like on uh, the soundtrack for fucking Death Proof. It's yeah. fucking amazing. I love what he does. Like it's just so much care goes into like his artwork that it's just, you can't help but be drawn to it. Yeah, man. I, I mean, yeah, he's inspired so many other directors. He's amazing i mean he, rod rodriguez and him are kind of like contemporaries and working together but for for people our age that you know grew up on those movies from the 90s like you know rod rodriguez and quentin tarantino <coughs> definitely carry that torch of that like things that would have in my opinion would have been forgotten mm-hmm. grindhouse cinema and like that like black exploitation type cinema like those are things that, you know, society would have tried to forget about. When mm. in reality, it's like, although, yeah, they have negative connotations to them, they are still very, like, well put together art forms. Like, yeah. you know, th- one of my, I wouldn't say favorite movies, but one of the movies that, like, that I think is, like, really underrated, I think I brought it up on on, on here before, but... Uh, there's a movie called Rape Squad, which would never be made today. Like, no <laughs> way that this movie would be, be made today. Not in 2021. And, like, I feel like that's a movie that only, like, a Quentin Tarantino or a Rob Rodriguez would be able to execute today. Mm-hmm. And, like, you, you know, you see young directors. You see, like, the Eli Roths, and you see all these other guys that definitely borrowed from Quentin Tarantino and, like, and, you know, are carrying the torch. Um, but, you know, Quentin Tarantino stood alone for many years. You know, Rob Rodriguez, I, I also want to put that in there because he also carried the torch as well. But... Really, just those two guys were the dudes carrying the torch for many years in the middle of the 90s when all you were getting were slasher film, slasher film, like, you know, like crappy Jim Carrey, like, movie where, like... <laughs> the Mask, know, Mask The too. Mask and the Cable Guy. Like, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, and then Adam Sandler took over. and Or not Adam Sandler. Yeah, Adam Sandler. Yeah. Like, oh, Adam Sandler's a goat now. And, like, <laughs> like Adam Sandler is a baby now and he has to graduate college in two months or whatever. <laughs> like... You know, it's just really dumb shit. I mean, Quentin Tarantino was like that dude that like really carried it. And, and I, oh, sorry, go ahead. And, and I'll mention this too. Like, um, I mentioned this last week and the week before. Like when uh, Quentin Tarantino recently was on Joe Rogan's podcast, uh, he was talking about that, like how he when he worked in a video store, how like he was so sick of seeing like these like he, he talked about like the eighties were such a, like a weird era of like uh, of like political correctness. And he was just like, you know, working in a video store, like he would see scenes in movies that he liked, but he didn't see movies that he wanted to see. So when he got into making movies, it was all about like, all right, how can I make like these scenes that I like these, these, these interesting scenes, you know, in movies from the eighties, like how can I expand upon them and then add other elements from like the golden age of like the late sixties, the seventies. And then like, you see him like go back to like, you know, stuff that happened like in the forties and fifties and like adding all this together and coming up with this great cornucopia of cinema. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think will 
definitely get into. I mean, every movie that he writes, characters talk the way people actually talk. Yes. Sometimes, and and there's a few movies where I feel like, you know, that actor maybe didn't execute it correctly. But going all the way back to um, um, Reservoir Dogs, just the opening scene alone, hearing Mr. Pink talk the way he's talking is completely different than what you would see in cinema at that time. And still to this day, it's very realistic. Like, it's a real true conversation like it feels like these characters are really talking to each other and i think you know he's one of the few people that were able to execute those types of stories just with 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 the way he wrote these characters and the way that these characters were casted um just super super interesting that he was able to get that going and and you care about it like there are things about you know in reservoir dogs you know that opening scene we're talking about madonna and like the that, that whole thing like <laughs> like it, a virgin like that would be a real conversation that like we would have like at denny's you know after work you know after working at target at a long night shift like hey what is we did it like with uh white pony like we all sat around talking about different songs on the white pony album and we all came away with like a different viewpoint where it's just like that like you said like these are real conversations that are people that people are having not like you know bullshit fucking you know, uh, you know, throwaway lines, you know, from like a eighties action movie, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And one thing I was just going to pitch you really quickly, this is kind of more on the fly, but, um, um, I think we should probably say, you know, as we count down our list or whatever, I think we should probably do, you know, what we think the their number 10 is. And then like what the pro or whatever, like the list. that. Uh, yeah. So what art is talking about is right now I have in front of me, it's a list by uh, vulture magazine. Um, you know, uh, going from worst Quentin Tarantino movies all the way up to the best, uh, right now, Quentin Tarantino, technically there's nine movies. Uh, he's supposed to retire after his 10th movie, but we we're in a weird territory with kill bill where some people consider that one movie, which it kind of is. It just got divided in two for theaters and, uh, DVD purposes to pay for the budget. Um, uh, but, um, Let's you know, make it two for this for this. But list. for the to make it like a nice clean ten, uh, Vulture as well as Art and Jacob do America. We're gonna you know do the ten that Vulture says, and then kind of the ten that like we think. So um, do you want to do that? Like just yeah, start from ten. Let's do that. We'll say our tens, <laughs> and then we'll do their ten, and then we'll see like how okay. you know <laughs> how it matches up. Yeah, I'm sure they've they're more movie. <laughs> professional so hey i I know we're doing like a top 10 list or whatever but like i hate top 10 lists just because they're they're, it seems like they're always put together to be controversial like you'll never get you never get who's supposed to be really at number one unless it's like explicitly there like even like with sports everyone there's an argument sports top 10 are the dumbest things ever like yeah Every time I hear, like, who's on your Mount Rushmore of the NBA? It's like, go fucking kill yourself. That's never going to be a fucking situation where I'm going to have to, like, chisel out fucking. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so dumb. It's not only dumb, but it's like these players, like, are you telling me that, um, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't, not only does it not make sense, it also doesn't matter. Yeah, but we're talking about one human being and his set of work, so it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Here. So, um. Do you want us to go first, or do you yeah, want? Yeah, let's Walter? go. Let's go first here. Uh, okay, I'll let you go. Okay, so my number ten, and I've been kind of vocal about this for a while. It's been my least favorite Quentin Tarantino movie for a while. I have trouble even finishing it most of the times. I don't even really remember the way it ends. To be completely honest with you, <laughs> just because I, I zone out almost every time. Uh, but the Hateful Eight is at my number ten. 
Okay. And Hateful Eight was probably was going to be like my 10 at the back end of the Quentin Tarantino ta- uh, catalog. Uh, but Netflix did a cool thing where, or Netflix and Quentin Tarantino, where they kind of like chaptered it out and made it, you know, into uh, almost like, you know, like the Marvel, you know, uh, television shows where it's yeah, just like, yeah. there's, I believe there's like six episodes of the Hateful Eight. And it's easier to digest because I believe like as a standalone movie, it's like three hours and 25 minutes, which is way too long to be sitting, you know, through a movie, any movie, even, you know, the best movies that are out there. I cannot watch The Godfather and The Godfather 2 back to back. Like, it's just like I need a poop break, you know, in between. Like, it's just like I need time to pass. I need to ingest what I just saw. But watching it in that format where they split it up into chapters is a lot better than you know sitting there for 30 minutes and it makes you appreciate because there is some really cool like cinematography there like when the horses are you know treading through the snow um in the you know the mid you know i believe it's like noon or something like that and you get the sunlight hitting you can tell it's hot but at the same time it's in this like cold ice barren wyoming wilderness or whatever it's a very beautiful shot and then like you know you get you know the lines with like samuel l jackson and um uh, uh, Tim Roth, you know, is in the movie and whatnot. Like, and you have more time to like ingest what they're saying because it's all about. It's almost like a game of Clue, like a who done it. Yeah, I think the reason why I never cared about it is because I didn't care about the characters. This is one of the first Quentin Tarantino movies. Yeah, one of the first Quentin Tarantino movies where there were characters I didn't care about, mm-hmm. and I almost didn't care about Samuel A. Jackson's character, who's almost the main character. And I, I, that, to me, after that, it was a hard sell after that. And it was, I'm not saying it's a terrible movie in like the spectrum of movies. It's still not a trash movie. Oh, no. It's just in the spectrum of Quentin Tarantino movies. It, and, and maybe, maybe <coughs> something was going on with Stanley Jackson. Maybe he wasn't feeling the role. Maybe he had multiple roles going on at the same time, mm-hmm. but it always just seems like he wasn't convinced on the role or something like or the role just didn't fit him or something like that. Maybe. I think the one line where he says when he's talking about like how he has like that, uh, the uh the civil war uh the the confederate uh general like when he was making like the confederate general's son like suck his dick basically mm-hmm. instead of having samuel jackson say like yeah and i had your son suck on my b-, and like he goes on like this big old like all these adjectives of like my big long slithery dingus and i'm like out of all words you could have said you said dingus like this just sounds like so out of place like just yeah. say cock just say dick or whatever right like it was sounded more natural as opposed to saying dingus. I was like, I don't think people during the Civil War would have said dingus. Maybe. I don't know. It's just one of those movies that I I don't want to say forgettable, but what are, what are the professionals? What uh, the, the professionals say that number 10, the worst Quentin Tarantino movie is Django Unchained. What? Yeah, exactly. That's oh what I said, too. Oh, my God. No, uh, already I don't like their list. Like yeah. that one to me is like way higher on my list. And, and it's a lot of fucking council culture shit about you know. No, see, and words and. Okay, so I I know people love to live in where movies have you know movies are fake as fuck and like you know Disney produced every movie, but the reality <laughs> is that Disney does not produce real life. Uh-huh. His movies are relatively close. I won't say relatively close to real life, but the way people are portrayed i mean there is racism in this world there is violence in this world slavery happened like that to me already i want to like discredit their entire list because how are you gonna have django unchained i feel like it's one of his gem movies almost where it's like dude i I feel like it's one of the movies where leonardo dicaprio got robbed for an oscar 
it's another movie where I think uh, I think Christoph Waltz he did get uh, best supporting actor. He oh, he, oh my god, he's so good in that. Oh my god, he's good in every role. And then um, Jamie Foxx, it, it, to me, it's like one of his I, best roles. And I was just thinking about Jamie Foxx as we were talking about Samuel A. Jackson. I almost think that Jamie that role in in uh, in Hateful Eight was probably written for Jamie Foxx, and he just couldn't do it for some reason. It's yeah. like, oh man, I'm doing the new Spider Man guy. <laughs> I'm 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 electroshock in Spider Man, bro. I can't do it. I was like, oh, I'll just see if Samuel A. Jackson still do it yeah and it was like very last minute or something i almost feel like something like that must have happened where it was just like oh sure i love you quentin i'll, I'll do it and it's like no damn it it's not gonna be the same vibe but <laughs> but yeah i i i i already disagree with their list but yeah i do too what's your what's your number nine <laughs> number nine i would have to say is death proof um or wait what did i say my number 10 was your number Actually, I don't remember. What oh, I didn't say my number ten. I guess my number ten is Death Proof. Then wow. I would say I would say, okay. I would say Death Proof is at the end. Um, I did um, go back and watch it um, not too long ago. There's a really good podcast that I always shout out on the Patreon uh, called Spoil the Beans with comedian uh, Derek Poston, and you know his girlfriend Sam Lopez is on there as well. And it's always like him like retelling, you know, reacting out in a comedic way. Uh, a classic movie that the other person has never seen before. And it's really captivating because I know I couldn't do it because uh, he does it almost verbatim and he, he gets into all these characters and whatnot. Uh, but he, he retold um, uh, Death Proof. And I was like, huh, let me go back and watch it. Because it was always like, I remember when Grindhouse came out, I remember thinking like, oh, wow, Robert Rodriguez outdid Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. And um, I kind of like only watched it like maybe two times. So I went back and watched it. And, you know, giving what I said about the Hateful Eight, and, like, that was my number 10 maybe up until two weeks ago, Rewatching Death Proof and watching Hateful Eight within the same time frame, I got to say, like, the Hateful Eight did a little bit better job cinematography-wise, as well as, again, you split it out, you ingest the story, you live with it more, like, it just sits a little bit better than, like, a homicidal maniac in a Death Proof car. But I will say one of my favorite scenes and one of my music music plays a big part of fucking Quentin Tarantino's uh, work is when uh, that Puerto Rican princess, when she does like down in Mexico dance for Kurt Russell, that it to me is like one of my favorite scenes of all time. Gotcha. Yeah. I, 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 I enjoy death proof. I view death proof as, you know, it was released as that grindhouse movie. You know, it's a total package of a movie. I do think that the second half of, of death proof is not as strong as my, as the first half of it. Uh, the cast completely changes, but yeah. um, but I, I do have it. I'll talk about it like later on on my on my list here. But okay, um, so my number nine would be yeah. Hateful Eight at that point. Oh, your number nine is Hateful Eight. Okay, yeah. um, so I do, do my number nine. Now? Yeah. Okay, so my number nine is uh is gonna be Jackie Brown. Okay. And I don't hate Jackie Brown. I see a lot of hate <laughs> for Jackie Brown. Um, I don't think it's a bad movie at all. If, just for some reason, it's just another one of those things where I didn't love the characters. Um, I thought it was a cool movie though. I watched it. Um, I watched it at home one time, and I was like, "This is this is a cool movie." Like I was entertained the whole time. Yeah. He does some very cool shots. One of my favorite shots is when they uh, get Chris Tucker in the trunk, and then they drive around the corner, and you see it all from like this sky perspective where he drives around the corner and he just, he goes to a dirt lot. Very Mars Scorsese. Yes. Yeah. And I love those shots. I th- I thought it was very good. And it was, I was very young and you know, like didn't really know about like a black exploitation type movie and uh-huh. you know, which is this is an homage to. Um, but I was like, that was cool. It was, it's cool. Like, but I didn't, it didn't make me fall in love with 
Quentin Tarantino's like mm-hmm. directing style. I also don't think it showcases a lot of like his talent, and he's super talented. Yeah, and I think that. Uh, but this is one that's based on a book, so it's not like his writing is like you know verbatim like the way he would have probably wanted it. Um, so I mean, it's not really one hundred percent him. Although I do find it enjoyable, and I think he has some of his most clever shots. Even that opening shot of uh, Pam Greer with the the airport background in the background that he, he uses like, a lot. It's very like nineteen seven. You know, we'll see that again in Kill Bill, same airport scene, but like different advertising in the back for like the red apple cigarettes and things like that. But yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's a, such a beautiful shot and he, he knows how to capture those like very iconic, like actual, like cinematography is to me, one of the most like underrated things in movies. And if you can't create a world with your cinematography, then you're essentially just creating another Adam Sandler movie. Correct. Um, <laughs> and, um, I think he does such a good job and I think he does that in Hateful Eight, like really well. Like, you get the feeling of isolation and cold and you see that in Hateful Eight and, I don't think it's a terrible movie, um, but I think he does a, you know a better job like create those like kind of sh- these shady characters you know like everyone's kind of a shady character yeah. in, in that movie and like I really enjoyed it, but it is maybe writing wise and maybe character wise it's one of his weaker ones. But again, he didn't write this one as more on a book than anything, and that's why it's yeah. probably so low on my list. Probably yeah, probably too. And I would say you know to skip it forward, that would probably be like my number eight movie, mm-hmm. um, just because. I like it a little bit more than, you know, Death Proof and Hateful Eight. <clears throat> I I do think it was clever, like, how he used, like, all of those big stars. Because when, like, when you look at, like, the movie poster for it, it's, like, literally, like, who's a Star who? Wars poster of super celebrity. Yeah, it's, like, Robert, De- like, you start right there. Robert De Niro, Robert Forrester, Pam Grier, who's, like, the queen of exploitation. So, like, that, that was a smart move on, on his casting part. Uh, you get Chris Tucker, who's like the hottest fucking you know person in Hollywood at the time, and you kill him off right away, right? So again, Samuel L. Jackson's fresh off of fucking his Pulp Fiction fame, like all yeah. these things is just hitting at the same time. So you're expecting like these these grand things from this movie. So expectations can be you know can lead you down the the road of disappointment. But once you like divorce yourself from that, and then you like revisit that movie, like you said, like you you watch it just as like okay, I'm gonna watch Jackie Brown tonight. Just like I just need a movie to watch, right? It's a really good movie. It's a it's really a good cool movie. Yeah, it, it it's when you watch like black exploitation movies, like this this would be like a crown jewel of that genre if it came out in the seventies, just because it tells like a really compelling story. And you're talking about like unique shots. Like one of my favorite things is at the end, like where you get all you get the same scene played out from like different perspectives yeah yeah. and it's kind of like like one of those themes that i always talk about like perspective or whatever like when i use like that pin analogy i remember watching that like after i had like first like dropped like that pin analogy about perspectives on the podcast and watching that and be like man it'd be so much better if i just (laughs) said like you know at the end of jackie brown like where you get like the same scene but from everybody's perspective like the cop's perspective jackie brown's perspective the criminal's perspective like it's so masterfully done it's just like wow like it's breathtaking but i think he's done better work yeah moving forward oh absolutely um and then vulture they said number nine was hateful okay so i mean we're not that far off on on that one okay so you're number eight. Uh, so my number eight. This is probably the first one that's going to be a shocker to most people. Um, but number eight to me is going to be Kill Bill Volume Two. Yeah. So Kill Bill Volume Two to me was I don't want to say a letdown, but 
going into Kill Bill Volume 2, the fucking tsunami that was Kill Bill Volume 1, where it was just like, I, and we'll get into Kill Bill Volume 1, that's a whole different thing, but this felt like, and I do get it a little bit, it feels a little bit of a yin-yang type mm-hmm. effect, where you get a little bit of that spaghetti western vibe in Kill Bill Volume 1, where you introduce the bride, and you get to see, you know, the detectives do that whole like little spaghetti western scene. Yeah. But the rest of the movie is very like, you know, um, you know, like those old Akira movies. You know, like very like samurai. You know, ninja ninja movie. Like it's very cool. Like very. You know, I would say Akira was probably a big, big, um, big influence to this. Where it's just a full on revenge movie. Where it's like, oh, this this is gonna be brutal as fuck. Yeah. And we see that. Like we see the character develop. With, you know, you understand her pain. You understand everything she's going through. And uh, to go into um, to Kill Bill Volume 2, where it almost just feels totally tamed. And it just feels like, okay, now here's more spaghetti western. With a little bit of, like, her training scene of going up and down the stairs and training. The training scene is, like, to me, the best part of that movie. And there were supposed to be, like, more scenes that were deleted. I, I don't know if you remember the trailer, but there was, like, a scene where, like, some black dude is, like doing like some crazy samurai stuff. Oh wow. And that never made it onto the movie. It's on it's a deleted scene if you have the DVD. It's like just some random dude. He's like a martial arts expert. Okay. And he's doing all these like crazy things and like in that style of that like of the way that that training scene was done where it's like the the shots will go like zoom. They like zoom in like really hard and stuff like that. Um I it it's not a bad story and it's not a bad conclusion to the to the overall story of the bride. Mm-hmm. Um but um, it just it, it didn't captivate me like the way that his previous movies had at this point. And at this point, this is really just his fourth film, and um, he it just it didn't. It, I always want to say it was a letdown. I was in my senior year of high school when this movie came out, and I was, I remember like kids we were like ditching school yeah. to like <laughs> like it was a big deal that this movie was coming out. And like, because Kill Bill was like honestly like one of the best movies up to that point I yeah. had ever seen in my life. Yeah, I agree. And like, it was to see this one, it was just like, oh man. I mean, that was okay, but it wasn't like Kill Bill Volume One. It was in Pulp Fiction. It wasn't like you know. It was like this is not that level. And and it ends on a very like anticlimactic ending where it was just like, man. Like there was just so many like she fight- kills Bill. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so many fights were like built up maybe because volume one had all the best fights but like so many of these were supposed to be like oh she's gonna fight bill like this fucking master samurai guy and it's like no no he's like an older man she just kind of like gives him the they're gonna have a superman's talk and he's gonna make a ham sandwich yeah and and it's like oh man they're gonna play with the daughter i i I get what he was doing there, like where it's just like he's cutting your expectations a little bit, and like you're gonna human, like because the whole thing was like humanizing, like this Terminator basically, right? Like it's like Terminator Two, like where you had T one thousand versus the you know Arnold, you know Terminator or whatever, right? But you're gonna humanize him, and like I think the really powerful scene at the end, like where she's like in the bathroom just like crying her eyes out, yeah. Where I think that was super powerful. There's scenes I really like that. The Esteban character. Exactly. I loved Esteban. And, Esteban. and that's the same guy as the cop. Yeah. Yeah. He plays like three different characters in that movie. Yeah. Uh, and that's your heart out, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And like, <laughs> to me, that's crazy. Like, Esteban was cool. The cop was cool. Like, there's so many. Even the, the scene where Samuel A. Jackson is just uh, like kind of a, a cardboard cutout in the background, just smoking a cigarette, telling the stories about 
what songs he can play on the piano. And it was just like so many great little scenes, but overall I felt like it was a letdown. Letdown for you. Yeah. And I would say that would be like my number seven movie um, just because of all the yeah, same yeah. reasons you said. I, it is that one weird gray area where technically it is just like the last half of the Kill Bill movie, like Kill Bill volume one and two or whatever. It, it was supposed to be just one whole movie. Uh, like the hateful eight, it was gonna be like three hours and forty five minutes or whatever, and then everybody's favorite uncle Harvey Weinstein was like, "Hey, how about we just cut this huh. in two, so we can, so we don't have to cut so much out of you know the movie and whatnot, and you know we can probably sell more tickets if we do that." And so uh, it's hard to say, you know, would it have been uh, a hateful eight situation? I mean, because that first half. Uh, fucking kill bill is to me is like one of the best movies i have ever watched and i mean he's got a couple of those coming up um but like i just remember watching it and then watching it again like right afterwards like just going like oh my god i need to go right back into the theater and watching it and just sneaking back in and watching the next showing or whatever right sorry east hills mall that's probably (laughs) why you guys went out of business but um (laughs) i it, it was just so good that like oh my god the conclusion of this is just gotta knock it out of the park and then it it didn't really feel like that, but it is like that weird grader where it's like, well, technically this isn't its own standalone movie, but for the sake of this list, we'll just say that it is. Mm-hmm. Wait, it still lands at like number seven. Yeah, me. it's still pretty high. What do they say it is? Uh, number eight is Death Proof for them. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, pretty much for all the same reasons. It's, they call it bloated. It was too fetishist. And then that last half of the movie where it was just kind of an homage oh, to the Zoe Bell, uh, yeah, yeah, character wh- who who did play the bride, you know, for all the action scenes. Uh, that's uh, Zoe Bell. That's uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, stunt woman. Yeah, she does all the stunts. She was also a zombie in Death Proof. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh no, sorry, in um in Planet Terror, she plays a zombie. She's done a bunch of zombie work. So yeah, she's uh. a badass because I was um in that Joe Rogan uh, podcast with Quentin Tarantino. They were talking about, you know, death proof and like how she had to film like that scene, like where she's hanging on to fucking this Dodge Charger or whatever. And like she's re- literally she she's is doing holding, that for real. Yeah. For real. It's like in the car, the Chargers, like in the middle of the desert. Right. Now, these are like old ass cars that aren't meant to fucking go off road or whatever, like off road at 90 miles an hour. Like she literally could have like met her demise. Like if something went wrong. Yeah. No. I mean, OK, well, let's say well, sh- let's say way into it because that's going to be my next movie on my list okay is death proof i feel like death proof gets kind of a kind of a, a black eye in it because the second half is kind of a letdown as well kind of like the kill bill <laughs> bill part of it but the first half of it to me is just like goddamn every everything about this first half of this movie i love like this and you care been, about the girls too yeah you care about the girls you care about the lovely butterfly like you care about all these things every shot just that opening shot of like, of uh, what's the the girl the the main girl that's like, not Rose DJ. McGowan. Oh, uh, Jungle Julia. Jungle Julia, and she's like smoking a cigarette, like laying on her bed, and the poster behind her is the exact same pose or whatever. Like everything about that, like I loved. I love the music. The music is great. The ambiance is great. It has that like old school grindhouse vibe. I almost feel like they should have leaned into it more for the second half. The second half, for some reason, it goes into like HD quality um, cinema. They no longer do the the scratchy, grindy thing on the second half. I don't know why he went away from that. That was weird. Um, but I mean, that has one of the most underrated soundtracks. Like 
to me, the opening song is called Chase. Like, it's a really great song. It ends with the song Chick Habit by April March. That's a good song, too. Great song. I love that song. The Down in Mexico song is great. Mm. So many things. And the way that he incorporates the jukebox into it, um, into, like, why these songs are playing is genius. Um, That uh, the the first time she sees the car, like, chasing him kind of thing, and she just sees the car has like one of the most perfect like little like oh jacob's hacking the pentagon <laughs> um, but yeah i mean it like it plays like this little like eerie piano like ding ding Welcome ding <laughs> sorry uh it plays like this like really weird like piano like thing that just sounds like a john carpenter style movie mm. and like yeah that's exactly and it is it was supposed to be a horror movie and it was supposed to be like what a grindhouse movie is i mean a grindhouse is supposed to like overly sexualize women be over the top violence like that's what it is i mean so to hear their list go like oh man they fucking made women <laughs> fetishize women uh yeah i mean that's that the was purpose. its goal of yeah. the movie like to over the top have these like half naked girls on in the movie and to defend that the whole point of the movie is is uh kurt russell's character obviously he's like he's a male chauvinist he gets his rocks off by like fucking killing women in his death proof car you know that's his whole thing and he turns that whole concept, you know, spoiler alert, you know, on, on top of its head, where, like, the women, they're the one that fuck him up in the end. You know, the girls get their revenge. It's almost like an, uh, Kill Bill came out before this, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it was almost, like, continue. That's a big thing, too, that I've noticed with Quentin Tarantino. He falls in love with, like, his previous movie and then kind of, like, leaves, like, a little bit afterwards. So he got really into the whole, you know, theme of, like, you know, the women revenge thing, and, like, that bleeds over into, like, the next film, which, you know, is Death Proof, you know, where the women get their revenge on this, like, chauvinist Kurt Russell character. Yeah, I mean, he definitely, um, I mean, he's known to be working on movies while directing movies, like Pulp Fiction, the whole thing of, like, why The Bride was chosen, like, uh, what's her name? Um, Uma Thurman? Uma Thurman. So, like, Uma Thurman, like, there's, like, those famous shots of him already talking about, Uma, like, him and Uma Thurman discussing, like, what Kill Bill is going to be like while they're doing Kill, while they're doing Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Thing. So, like, those ideas definitely were already there of, like, of, like, these Pulp Fiction-esque kind of things, like, this old school jukebox vibe to, like, I don't know. I, I like it. I love the first half of it. The second half, I can see how it's kind of a letdown. I think that they're, they spend a lot of time discussing dumb things <laughs> for them to get to the point of like, Hey, we're going to go check out this Dodge challenger. Like, and I get it. They, they reference a lot of like cool things like banishing point gets, gets a good shot out, which yeah. it's a great movie. He talks, she talks about the gone in 60 seconds, the original version of it. Like just these great old school movies that are just like car junkie kind of movies. I, I like those elements, but I don't think that they resonate well with every single audience member. General like, like audience. it's yeah. I mean, it's like if if you hate conspiracy theories and you're only into like I don't know, like you want to hear a podcast about the Jersey Shore, you probably hate our podcast. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean that's the reality of it. And I feel like for a large portion of the audience, they're probably going to zone out in that part. Where and I do think some of that is like girl talk, like talking about dating. And she's talking, she's dating a guy that looks like The Rock and like all this stuff. Where it's just like, man. It's, a little too much conversation as a, and like he, he, you know, he didn't have someone to tell him like, Hey, like maybe a little more action, a little less talk kind of yeah. thing, you know, like on the second half, I think the first half is like perfect. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, Vulture said number seven is Inglorious Bastards for them. Damn, they suck. Their list sucks. Yeah, because uh, Glorious Bastards is one of the best movies I've fucking ever. We'll get into it. So, number six. Yeah, number six. Where are we, six, huh? Yeah, let's do six. Yeah, so one, two, three, six. Yeah. Uh, so, my number six, um, I hate to say this just because. Um, let me just make sure. Um, yeah, I hate to say this, but um, I think number six might be Reservoir Dogs for me. Wow. Um, and not because and, – and number six sounds really low for this movie, but I just feel like what I've already said about, like, Kill Bill and Glorious Bastards and the movies we haven't named yet, I just love those movies so much more. But Reservoir Dogs is straight up and down – a bona fide fucking classic. I remember watching this uh, when it came out on VHS at Video City. Uh-huh. Um, I remember my uncle was in town and we were we had the Fourth of July. And our my big thing with my uncle at that time was like when we'd go visit him in Utah, is we'd just rent a bunch of movies and fucking watch them and shit. Whether it be like The Predator or uh, what's that movie with fucking Dennis Rodman and John Claude Van Damme? I think it was called Demolition. Like, Man? Oh no, wait, never mind. Tag Team or some oh, shit. Yeah. Demolition Man was one of them. Uh, but then he would always slide in like some like you know like really artsy fartsy one or whatever. And then we're like we'd we'd marinate on it and be like, oh that's pretty good. I can see what they were doing there. Uh, but I remember Reservoir Dogs uh, around like ninety three, ninety four. I wanted, I really wanted to fucking watch Jurassic Park, the OG Jurassic Park. And he's like. Nah, when your mom goes to bed, we gotta watch this movie. It's fucking badass. It'll make Jurassic Park look like fucking Looney Tunes. Like, trust me, just watch this. And I remember being like, what, like eight years old, seven years old, or whatever it was, like when we were watching it. And I was just like, from from the time, like you said, like when you hear like the whole fucking conversation about like a virgin, yeah. all the way up to the very end, like where you find out Tim, wh- who Tim Roth's character really is and whatnot, just being fucking glued to the TV because every scene, like something more spectacular was happening. And yeah. it was all just dialogue too, because literally this could, this could be a fucking Broadway play. I love that movie. I just recently watched that one of, of all his movies. I think that's the one I've seen the most recently. And I love that movie. It's, I remember the first time I saw it, I was at like six in the morning and, um, uh, I was a little bit late to the game, to the Quentin Tarantino game at, at this point, but I watched it at like six in the morning, and actually just bought it on DVD on a whim because they had released the uh, the uh, special edition one. I think it was a 15 year anniversary already. Was it the one where like the individual yeah, like colors? So I had bought Mr. Blonde, and I was like, I'll just buy it on a whim, Let's check it out, and I was like, put it on. I'm watching it by myself at like six in the morning. I'm like a sophomore in high school or whatever, <laughs> and like just going like. Oh my god! Like I was just like every scene was like so good. Like I it it wasn't even like a, a who done it. Like I wanted to know who who the killer was. I was just like every line was just so well written and like uh-huh. such a like so well casted as well. Like you know I just I loved it. Like there's even a shot that I just think like it's like a one in a million shot where um nice guy Eddie is on the phone or whatever and like. He's driving, and then you just see the, the camera's planted from an angle, and you see him driving. And for some reason, behind him, there's a balloon that's just bouncing behind his car. And the song that's playing behind him is going, it, it, it's going to the rhythm of the balloon bouncing yeah. behind him. It's like, huh, huh, now tell me what you got. And it's just like, to me, I was like, these are like one in a million shots that he was able to nail. Like, like there's some like 
things that probably haven't aged well, like that opening scene where you see them all, whatever, and it, it turns into like Reservoir Dogs, and it's very like slow mo. Yeah, it's kind of like eh, that hasn't aged that well. But other than that, I'm like, God damn, like this movie is like fucking brilliant. And then to go back like on the music, like I mean, it starts off talking about like a Madonna song, right? Yeah. Um, but the way like the whole like this is super sounds of the seventies or whatever, and then it's K like Billy super sounds of the seventies, and it's like all these like throwback because this is in a time period too where it's just like you couldn't just open up Apple Music or YouTube and like on demand like whatever song you wanted to hear like you had to like wait for those fucking like radio stations to play like all right here's a bunch of shit from your childhood and it's like oh yeah i remember unless you own that shit and this is a, this is the time period of fucking sam goody charging you like 27 dollars for a fucking you know 10 song fucking you know cd or whatever right like unless you own that shit like to hear like your favorite songs from back in the day like you had to wait for the radio station to play it like you had like it was a, it was a treat to get those songs so the way he did that too where it's just like here's like you know all these like classic like 60s and 70s songs that like just got thrown in there and they all worked and i took a class in um in college it was called film music and uh one of the tricks that they talk about in that class is like it's called dissonance where like you have like a really brutal scene but you'll put like a really upbeat song to it and like the teacher gave all sorts of examples and i was like well, what about the scene in Reservoir Dogs where Mr. Blonde, like, it's, he's, you know, he's dancing to Stuck in the Middle with You, but he's, you know, chopping this guy's ear off and he's about to light him on fire. And he goes, that is actually the best use of, like, that technique I have ever seen. Like, I'm shocked I forgot to talk about it right now. I was like, yeah, to me, yeah, that's, like, the only thing that I was thinking about when you were mentioning that to us. Yeah. Great, great movie, man. Yeah. Um, what, what's on their list? Oh, their list agreed with me. Reservoir Dogs, number six. And it killed me to say that. Wow. What was my number six? Was it? Oh, you didn't say your number six. Oh, okay. So, oh, so this is my number six. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I guess my number six then is going to be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. Um, It's, I feel like it's, you know, in the, the back half to me, but I think it's one of his better back half movies where um, there's characters that I'm just to just fucking kill it. And I would say Leonardo DiCaprio is that character that fucking carries this movie like to, to a point where it's just like, Oh my God. And, and Brad Pitt's really good in it too. But I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio fucking carries this movie. Um, I, I, it's, it's one of those movies that I, I think I need to give it some more time to simmer. Um, and it might move up or down in the list. I'm not sure where, But it's definitely one of those things that I found way more engaging. Like I f- almost feel like this is this is what the Hateful Eight wanted to be, like with these characters. Like, but these characters actually executed. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing is it Margot Robbie that's in it that plays um oh Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate. I do think that every scene that she's in could have been chopped out. Like, there's no purpose to this. <laughs> and I said that since day one. Since the minute I saw that movie, I was like, there's no purpose to this. Like, it does nothing to, for the movie. It doesn't add like a voila moment to the end or whatever. Like it just to me it was like this is they just there's here's an actress here's some like pointless he, thing to it he gave an explanation that on that rogan but it, it escapes me what his explanation was but i know when he was saying it, i was like oh okay that makes sense um but yeah i mean i get i get where you can come from with that perspective obviously i don't agree um but i i can see how you can have that because my girlfriend had the same thing she was like what was the point of her being in the movie um yeah. Well, but, I mean, I think like anything in life, I mean, I'm sure he has an explanation, 
but I do think like I mean it, it's an art it's it's an art it's it's film it's music things like that like yeah. things like that there is like there's only do you like it or do you not like it and yeah. and you could say like well I don't like this part I don't like this song on, on whatever like this song kind of brings it down everything else pretty cool I do think she is that song on the album that fast forward every single time and like whether it be yeah She's but back she, to school but you need. But you need that Pink Floyd song to explain why the kids are having to eat. Like, <laughs> and it's like you can't have your meat if yeah. you don't. No, you can't. You have no pudding if you don't eat your meat. Yeah, it's just like yeah, but you don't need that shit. Uh, I feel like that she's that point in the in the movie. I think, and she's in it. Like, there's at least like fifteen to twenty minutes in the movie that could just be like bloop, taken <laughs> out. And I do think that that fifteen twenty minutes would have made that so much better. Like such a like smoother ride to the point where. Where like it would have been like more like it would have been up there with like to me like the Django and Chains and everything mm-hmm. that's coming up on the list. For oh me. yeah, but but it's still like it's still good. It's still a decent movie. It's just you know I'll still put it in the the bottom five or whatever. Okay. Um. Yeah. So number six was uh, Reservoir Dogs for them. Uh. So how about give give me your number five? I guess you could say. I guess the the better half. Okay. So let me take a look here. Uh, let me just double check my list here. Um, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'll fuck. I feel like it's so stacked. At the it's top. sacrilege. At this it, point, it feels like sacrilege. It's stacked at the top. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna. No worries. I'm gonna go with. Um, I'll go with Reservoir Dogs. Um, and the only reason why is because there are scenes that, I, like I mentioned before, there are scenes that I felt like haven't aged that well. The slow mo shots. Um. <laughs> uh just little things like that if, and i'm nitpicking at this point like it, i'm I'm nitpicking this movie is amazing like do not get me wrong i love every scene about this movie like i said i watched this at six in the morning i was captivated from the moment it started to the moment it ended i just recently watched it and i still felt like that nostalgic thing about like you know some of the shots that he was doing were so experimental and like mm-hmm. so low budget at the same time like just the opening the trunk scene or whatever, like and and all you get is the reaction of like the guys opening the trunk, the stuck here in the middle with you scene where like he's dancing and like just so many great shots, all the little metaphors that are like hidden in the background, like you know like how in the background the the soap is pink, there's a white and pink soap in the background, and then the the orange soap is like the disinfectant stuff that's on the side. So like the three oh, wow, char- yeah the three characters that are in the room. Mr. Mr. Pink, Mr. White, and Mr. <coughs> Orange, those are the soaps that are in the background. And the the one that's an off on the side is the Mr. Orange one. I was like, that's such a genius, like, little touch or whatever that, you know, you see, like, all the soaps are, like, that are together on one side and then, like, that one, like, Outlier. orange disinfectant or whatever that's not even a soap or whatever. It's something else. Yeah. And it's like, oh, man, it's such a beautiful little touch that's just, like, like – Telling you everything you need to know without telling you anything. Yeah, it's so to me. It's like that's Quentin Tarantino at his greatest. That you can look back at these things and being such a young director at the time, it was just like, dude, that's genius that you were able to do that on such a low budget, and it was hated upon its release. Like all all <laughs> all the reviewers were like, there's so much dialogue in this shit. Like they need to do more of a movie like Speed. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> I remember like speed. Like that was like those free HB, like the selling point for like the free HBO weekend mm-hmm. or whatever. And I, I used to again. This is back in the nineties. I remember I used to crave like those free HBO weekends because yeah. you know 
we didn't always get you know have the luxury of always having a fucking uh you know video rental uh membership or whatever so you know i would crave like that to watch you know a bunch of movies during this weekend right and like that was the big selling point like and then that sunday at eight we're gonna show speed the world the television premiere of speed and I remember like watching all these badass movies, you know, from the morning all the way up to the like late night, you know, on Saturday and then Sunday watching like all these badass like cartoons that you don't get to see like, you know, on ABC Saturday morning or whatever the yeah. HBO was showing and shit. And then all of a sudden it's just like, well, I guess like speed, like this is going to be the big, you know, fucking, you know, you know, finale or whatever. And I remember getting halfway through this movie and it's just like, man, I wonder what they're, what, what, what rerun of home improvement they're showing. <laughs> like, I, I remember all the cholo kids like speed it in school. I was like, well, I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't get speed. The bus is going really fast. All the cholo kids were like, "Dang, speed's fucking tight." <laughs> <laughs> so I realized I just fucked up while you were giving your number five. Um, I guess I would put Jackie Brown at six. Oh, okay. And then Reservoir Dogs, Reservoir Dogs at five. Okay. And then That's Vulture, fair. they're going to put Kill Bill at five. Wow. Their list sucks. Yeah, because I have mine a little bit higher than that. So, number four. Oh, you want me to do my number four? I guess I'll do my number four, yeah, since I fucked up or whatever. Okay. Number four, again, this sounds like sacrilege, uh, but I'm just going to say it, but Pulp Fiction. Wow. I love Pulp Fiction. I love it with all of my heart. Um, I just feel like... There are three other movies that I love just a little bit more uh, than Pulp Fiction. So, um, number four. Um, hold on. Did I fuck up again? Hold on. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, shit. You still have Kill Bill Volume 2 you can put in Wait. there. Hold on. I didn't fuck up then. So, yeah, let's go back on that. So, yeah, number Number five, then, for me, would be fucking Pulp Fiction, then. Okay. Yeah, my ne- or my next movie. I'll just, so I don't fuck up anything else. Number five, Pulp Fiction. Okay. Um, I Again, I love Pulp Fiction. I love that, like, out-of-sequence, you know, storyline that's yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, it we became st- iconic for a lot of years. Yeah, every fucking, from The Simpsons to Mad TV to Saturday Night Live, even uh, Supply, um, you know, other movies try to mimic it, you know, whether it be with the dialogue or... You know, you know, insert again another instance of you know using uh, music in movies, uh, like classics from back in the day to uh, you know offset like a, a squeamish scene, um, bringing back you know uh, older actors like John Travolta whose career was on fucking you know life support at that point. I think he was doing like those look who's talking movies or whatever yeah. <laughs> before this, uh, but putting him back like in the in a serious spotlight. You know, Resurrection. A lot of people copied you know him after this this was like his breakthrough role i think this is like what catapulted him oh, to yeah. like the the fucking hollywood elite i think before like it was always like that you know with with reservoir dogs it was more of like an underground vibe like oh yeah like this movie's cool speed's cool but you want to rent fucking uh reservoir dogs as well no this is pulp fiction this is like what put him up there like with all like the tom hanks fucking forrest gump movies and shit yeah that's great great fucking movie that's your number five number five Okay, so should I do my number four? Yeah, go ahead. Because their number five is uh, Kill or Kill Bill Volume Two is their number four. Okay, so uh, I guess my number four then. Wait, let me just make sure. Yeah, I've I've done this a couple of times too because I'm like fucking mm-hmm. I'm getting fucking thrown off a little uh, bit. I think I got them all here. Okay, so I guess my number four then is going to be uh, Django Unchained. Okay. 
Um, absolutely love this movie. Like, great movie. I think I saw it with you for yeah. the first time. On Christmas. Christmas Day. Um, fantastic movie. Like, actually, I think I saw it with my family first because it was my sister's birthday. And then I went back. It was so good that you guys yeah. were going to go see it after. I was like, yeah, let's go see this shit again. <laughs> yeah. Like, incredible movie. Like, acting is like a plus to me this is like quentin tarantino like full stride like every character was just like amazing like literally every character was you know what they say that cheesy line of you were born to play this role yeah and a lot of characters are kind of done that but but definitely leonardo DiCaprio again like i don't want to say he carries this movie but he is like that other star of the movie that just in the few scenes that he's in is just like and he, there's not no schlubs in this movie oh like, no everyone's on like, samuel, ja- samuel samuel L. jackson is like oh my god that guy's been born to play like so many roles christoph waltz is an amazing actor um again jamie fox fucking jamie knocks fox, his. yeah it, but it just seems like leonardo dicaprio like it's like when you watch like basketball where you see like those there's there's great players and then there's like once in a lifetime players where they go to that extra gear yeah just to get the job done like you know like a michael jordan or a kobe bryant or a joe montana or a tom brady or if you will um they just go to that extra gear just to get the job done and i feel like leonardo dicaprio this like when he's like you know he has like that skull and he's doing that whole performance where it's just like, and this guy, you know, shaved my daddy's beard, you know, for years. And then, like, he smashes the skull or whatever just to make his point that he's figured out, you know, uh, Django and, you know, the doctor's, you know, plot to, to trick him or whatever. Like, I just thought that was genius. And he, like, really, like, fucked up his hand. Yeah. And then, like, he, like, smears the blood, like, on Kerry Washington. I was just like, damn, like, that's, like, somebody, like, in, like you said, he's in full, full stride. Yeah. 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 To me... That is what, you know, some of the movies that I mentioned earlier, like The Hateful Eight, there's nothing like that to me in The Hateful Eight, where there's no, where's the fucking fire, man? Like, I, I, none of you guys are carrying the fire in this. And like, here it is. Like, you know, he got that, you know, you first see that in, in like, a in a Reservoir Dogs type of thing, where, like, you know, maybe he got lucky with Michael Manson, like, being able to, like, hit those, like, hit those notes, if you will, uh. with with the, the, the chopping of the ear scene, but... This is like I feel like so many characters were just like that is like a one in a million thing where he's gonna cut his hand on that cup or whatever and like he starts bleeding and you see the reaction like the I forgot what that what his assistant's guy is in the background but his oh it, yeah the guy with the mustache yeah like you see his real reaction where like that you see that he notices that he's bleeding and and you see his like full on reaction there's no acting here and like that's a real genuine reaction and. And it just creates like these crazy beautiful moments of tension, and it's just great. Like I, I don't have any knocks to it. I don't have any any knocks at all. Like, I mean, I think it's close to about as flawless of a movie as you can get to. Yeah. Um, it's I, one of those movies where it's like if it if it's on, like let's say it's like eleven thirty at night, and like TNT, they know drama. Like they start showing it, and you come in at the middle of it. I gotta finish the movie. Like, it's just oh, one yeah, of those, it's, it's just so captivating where it's just like, it just lures you in, it hypnotizes you, and you're like, I cannot not finish this movie, you yeah, know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I gotta see the scene, you know, where, you know, 
you know, Christoph Waltz, you know, tells Leonardo DiCaprio, like, usually, like, in German, you know, we usually say, Avita Shang, you know, which means, I hope to see you again. And, you know, he continues on, like, I hope I never see you again in my life, you know. And so he refuses to shake his hand. He's like, I got to see that scene. I got to make it there. And then, like, once you get past that, you got to yeah. see, you know, Django's revenge. And then you got to see him, you know, doing the whole Prince strut. Like, there's just so many things. And, like, even, like, at the end, like, when they're having, like, that shootout, like, they play, like, a Tupac song. Like, it's just, like, so perfect. Like, like that like it's such a gangster moment it's just like you can you dig into like quentin tarantino's skull and you're thinking like what gets what can be more gangster to play right here than a fucking tupac song and it's just like fuck yeah man like he, like he just nails it everywhere yeah i agree yeah so what's what's your number four i guess number four. Oh my god what we got left here no i guess i already did say my number four my number four was up uh, full fiction Oh, what's their number four then? Their number four was Kill Bill Volume Two. Oh, wow, that's pretty high. <laughs> that's pretty high. I almost feel like we we clearly disagree with it. Uh, that's pretty fucking high. Um, all right. Uh, my number three then in that case is uh, going to be. Wait, no, my more. I do have. I have four more. I fucked up again. Oh, okay. What's your yeah, number four? So, oh god. So there's Kill Bill. <laughs> There's Kill Bill once upon a time. See, this is this is where it gets fucking tricky, dude. Like, so there's Kill. I just, I just went to my top three and I was like, okay, these are my top three. Let me work my way backwards. <laughs> it's fucking difficult. But working your way backwards kind of makes like I almost feel like I put Once Upon a Time and 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 Hollywood a little too high. Where I was like, oh, I kind of like Death Proof a little more, but I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, toot your own. Yeah, fuck. So there's Kill Bill. Okay, I already mentioned uh, Pulp Fiction. So Kill Bill. I still haven't said Django. Uh, Glorious Bastards, Kill Bill, and Glorious Bastards, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Fuck, this is hard. <laughs> it's hard, yeah. Um, shit, out of Django and Glorious Bastards, Kill Bill, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because I love all of those so much, and all of those at one point I have said is like my favorite movie. Uh, by Clint, Quentin Tarantino. It's like Metallica almost, like where my favorite fucking album changes on the day of the week. Um, fuck, I guess going off of those four that are left, fuck, I, oh man, it pains me to say. Um, I guess Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, if I have to make a fucking decision with a gun to my head right now, uh-huh. I know like I'm going to watch it and be like, no, fuck that, I like that better than this. But um, as of right now, I guess I could say, once upon a time in Hollywood, just because there, you are right. You know there are some scenes where you know it's just like it, like with Django, like there's no scenes. That oh drag. yeah, no, I'm not fast forwarding anything. No, every scene is important. Whereas like in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like I can do without some scenes. I I would say, um, you know, and some of those scenes is like you know the more like cowboy things, like the the you know nods to like old you know western you yeah. know cowboys or whatever. Uh, but god damn leo he just fucking knocks it out of the park whether it's him like when he's doing like that uh scene where he's like the bad guy and like he he gets like really into the scene and then he fucks up one line and they have to go back and they do like that whole camera trick where they like pull the camera back and they like because they're doing like that like uh that shot like where they're like going around leo yeah and it feels real like in that moment like they're having like a real interaction you forget that they're acting and then leo has to step out of that as an actor and pretend that he's stepping out as an actor or whatever. Right. And then like has to go back into that scene. Like to me, that was just so genius. 
and then he goes back to his trailer and like beats himself up over it but god damn it's just such a good movie and then at the end like to me out of all of quentin tarantino's ending that is like one of my favorite endings of all time because spoiler alert you know it recreates history and we'll get into inglorious bastards relatively soon where like he he falls in love with that like where he's just like retelling history you go into that movie knowing what the manson family does to like sharon tate and her friends and whatnot and the whole movie it's pretty much it's it is about leonardo dicaprio and like like old hollywood dying and like new hollywood taking over like that's the overarching scene but the other theme of once upon a time in hollywood is like telling the story of a stuntman where it's just like it's building up you know cliff booth as like this like motherfucking badass right he may have killed his wife on a boat you know they don't give you you know the like how that really happened that's like that what's that's kind of based on that one actor um oh yeah the boat thing yeah um, where like killed his as soon as i heard that i was like oh man there's such a nod to that and yeah christopher walken what's that other actor Oh, Natalie Wood. I Natalie think. Wood. Yeah, yeah. I forget what the that guy's name was, but yeah, like I like how he did that. Or it's just like, oh, she's bitching him out. Did he kill her, or was it just the because like the, it was really wavy too, like yeah. in the boat. But the whole movie it builds up Brad Pitt's character as like this ultimate badass, like where he beats up Bruce Lee, um, and then he fucking single handedly kills the entire like Manson family, high off of fucking what like some fucking like super marijuana joint or whatever right the fucking was dipped like in kerosene or some shit so he's like super high not only is he just fucking like stoned or whatever right but he's like super high because they dipped it in some bullshit or whatever right he's fucking impaired like he's got a fucking knife in his leg and he single-handedly him and his dog fucking single-handedly fucking beat up the fucking whole manson family i just love it like the whole time that that was playing out yeah i just had this gigantic smile on the face and it was right after we had just done like those six hours of the manson uh family episode that we did so like i went into that movie knowing all the details and it was fun like watching like this guy like retell history yeah i mean i, I there's a lot to love in that movie i i i just you know i would say those um those Margot Robbie scenes are just waste of time, really. And I hate saying that, but it is does feel like a waste of time. It's one of those movies that, like, I definitely need to give it some more time. Like I said earlier, it's a movie that might go up or down on the list depending on really on how like I'm Jackie feeling. Brown, maybe, yeah, yeah. I, I do think that it's 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 a better, well version, a, a better, a much better, well put together movie than Jackie Brown was. But I still enjoy Jackie Brown, like. I want to rewatch this. This is one of those movies that, like, I think works better at home than it does in the theater. Yeah, and um, be- because you're probably a little more relaxed or whatever. Like, I don't know. It's 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 a good movie though. I don't I don't I, I don't know about. I'm gonna still put it in my bottom half, <laughs> but it's it's still a good movie. Yeah. So uh, moving on to number three. Number three. And one number three for them is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's pretty high. Um, I guess my number three, and um, I guess a little bit of a surprise. Oh, sorry. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. that's Charmin <laughs> commercial. Um, my number three is gonna be Pulp Fiction. Uh, I, I think Pulp Fiction is fantastic. I remember the first time I saw Pulp Fiction, it was like, it was late at night. I think my sister started watching it at like nine, nine thirty or whatever. Like they were just starting it, and I was like damn this is like unlike anything else i've ever seen like this is didn't it change movies for you like there was a world before pulp fiction and a world after well yeah i mean i think the what was 
what was okay to do. Like it, it, it opened a whole new thing for me. Uh, I had never that, you know, I, I think I mentioned this several times in, on the podcast. I, when I was younger on Friday nights on, on a AMC, AMC. was it AMC? Um, yeah, no, not AMC. Um, IFC, IFC. Yeah. yeah. IFC used to play, um, pulp indies and they might still do it. I just don't watch it anymore, but they would pul- play pulp indies every Friday night. And that's what I looked forward to so much. And this movie really like introduced me to like what that meant. Like it was directed in that style of, you know, like, like those like modern day noir style movies or whatever. And mm-hmm. just where like weird things would happen, you know, like even that scene, like one of my favorite scenes when she does a, don't be a square and yeah. like a square follows her fingers. You never saw that in movies like up until that point. It was filmed in this very like, like, nineteen sixties ish like, like gangster movie vibe, but it's modern day and it's yeah. like very much the nineties, but yeah, yeah, or modern day for that time period. Um, so cool, like everything was just cool about it, like the Jackrabbit Slims and like everything about it. Marcellus Wallace, all the like one in a million shot types of things again, where like he has a bandaid in the back of his neck, but that just happened because <laughs> he was shaving his head and he cut his head and they were like, let's put a big old bandaid on there. So like it'll become an iconic thing later on down the line kind of thing. And even the whole thing with like the briefcase, like you never know what's in the briefcase, but it's like shining. Like I know that was like one of the first like internet, like I don't want to say conspiracies, but like big old like internet myths, like what was really in the yeah. briefcase? Was it Marcellus Wallace's soul? Like from all the way to like, uh, DB Cooper's money, like all, all sorts of fucking like theories of like what really was in the briefcase. I love like those little fucking hints and it's a very serious movie. And what I appreciate is like, it's, it's broken up with, with comedic timing, like all over the place. Like, you know, here's Samuel L. Jackson. He's getting ready to kill, you know, pretty much everybody in the room. And he drops like that fucking Bible verse. But before he does, he fucking eats this homeboy's fucking hamburger, drinks all of his soda. But the way he does it is just so fu- it's I can't think of another a comedian that could fucking nail like that comedian timing. Like it's just fucking it's just on point. And they're doing it. The, they're despicable people, but you fall in love with them. And it's just yeah. like wow like it's almost like only person that i've been able to that i've seen that's been able to do that is martin scorsese but like they very much like oh okay this is a bad guy whereas like in pulp fiction they almost become lovable in a way where it's just like yeah they are bad guys like you know uh jules and fucking uh you know vincent they're bad dudes but like they have like qualities where it's just like oh man do they really have to die right here oh man i kind of feel bad right here or the whole like you know, scene at the end, like where they break up and, you know, they, yeah. they go off like on Kung Fu and shit. Like it's, it, 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 it's, it's beautiful how they make you feel certain things. And then they switch the perspective where it's like, okay, no, they're, dis- they're despicable people now because you're seeing it from the other character's eyes. We're just like, oh, I guess fuck them then, you know, kind of thing. And it's, it's, that's that, that mastery right there. Yeah. Oh man. It's one of the most quotable movies of all time. Oh yeah. Um, I'm sure it's one of the most parodied, parodied movies of all time. The soundtrack is amazing. Like every one of his movies has a great soundtrack, but I think this one probably has the most iconic soundtrack to this day. Like in movie, in cinema in general, like you put on that opening song, that whatever you know, that guitar song, whatever. Oh, uh, Dick Dale. Yeah, like once you put that on, like it it's associated to this movie, even though it was written years and years before the fifties. Yeah. It was like people will associate it to this movie. Um, just 
su- I remember, you know, Space Jam's about to come out, like the new Space Jam with LeBron <laughs> James. But I remember there was this, the parody version of that in that in the, in the uh, Michael Jordan one, right? And I didn't get it. I was like, what? Why are, why are those two guys dressed like gangsters or whatever? And they played that oh, song. Yeah. They played that song, and I was like, I don't get it. Like, And then I watched this, and I was like, oh, this is what they were parodying. Like, right, Looney Tunes yeah. was parodying back in the day. And it was just like, wild. I love it. Every character just looks so cool like everything about this movie is just cool from start to finish and i hate just saying something is cool but the movie is fucking cool like mm-hmm. it is it is transcended to the point where like now you can go buy a pop fiction shirt at target kind of thing you know yeah it's at that level it's a it's a fucking monster of a movie but it's yeah. it's in the library of congress it's just it's it's american history yeah that's my number three yeah number three and then um <clears throat> let me see what their number three was this game's in stupid, like... True romance. <laughs> Four rooms. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was, it, was their number three. Oh, man, that's pretty <coughs> high. I guess, okay, so we're... Your number two or your number three? I guess my number three, because what was it? It was uh between Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Kill Bill, Glorious Bastards, and Django. So I guess my number three, I'm going to say Django. Okay, that's and a great pick. only because I, I, I'm having stronger feelings for the last two, but just, again... Not to say anything that hasn't already been said about Django. It's just, it's almost a perfect movie, man. It, there's not, there's not much I can just knock on it, you know, at all, at all. Like every everybody kills it in that movie. Like it's 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 fantastic. I I, I agree. I mean, we've we've gone on for a while about it. I, I do think that's probably one of Leonardo DiCaprio's most underrated. I don't know if he won awards for that, nope. but like. God damn, like he and I hate to say that he carried that movie because I think he carried Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But every character was just a fucking fire. Like every character was just even, like even the character, like the the racist cowboy. Well, everybody in the movie was racist, but um, the cowboy that um, you know, that was you know going back and forth with Jamie Fox, where he's like, uh, what does he say? Like, I'm gonna go walking in the moonlight with you, boy. And he's like, "Are you gonna hold my hand too?" Like, like that guy, like he kills it. Like at the yeah. end when everyone's dead, like so much so to where like he got like so many similar roles afterwards just for playing like that 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 guy, uh, uh, Stone Cipher's uh, that guy that with the, with the dog Stone Cipher whatever played like the fucking hillbillies, and then Zoe Bell's in there as well too, like the lady with like the handkerchief on her mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in Once mask. Upon a Time in Hollywood too. Yeah, she was, huh? Yeah. She was a stunt woman. Yeah, she was a stunt woman. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just every every single person, and then Christoph Waltz too. To talk about him real quick, because I'm sure we'll get into him in a little bit. Coming off of Inglorious Bastards, where he plays like to me, which is like the best bad guy role maybe of all time, and then comes off and plays one of the most endearing people ever. Like you very much go into this movie like, oh, there's there's the Jew hunter right there, right? And now he's like a dentist slash fucking bounty hunter or whatever. But like he's such a lovable guy, uh, such an altruistic guy. Like he's very much like he's that bridge character that you know gets you from you know the beginning of the movie to the end, where it's just where where Jamie Fox needs to be. And it's just like, oh my god, like you you have this love for him because you see this whole other side of. Because you just go into it just thinking like, oh, this is the Jew hunter. But like he totally flips it on its head and is just like, hey, I'm going to be the total opposite now. Like one of the most, without being like a superhero, right? Like I'm going to be one of the most genuine nice guys of, of all time as well. 
Absolutely. I, uh, I, I, I love that movie. Yeah. So fun, fun, fun times. Right. Number two. Number two. What do you want me to do? My number two or your list? Let's do the list number two. Uh, list number two. Vulture says <laughs> <laughs> Jackie Brown. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. So remember what I said at the beginning of the show? I like, I feel like top 10 lists are just like put together just to piss people off. Like, I don't have anything I against feel like Jackie they just, Brown. They just put him, pulled him out of a hat. Like, I don't know how you get Jackie Brown at number two, but I guess like, uh, yeah. All right, my number two <laughs> is gonna be Kill Bill Volume One, mm-hmm. um, which is my true introduction to to Quentin Tarantino. The way I, I saw it in theaters in real time. In real time, I saw it in theaters. First Quentin Tarantino movie I ever saw in theaters, and it blew me away. I you know I had to go see Pulp Fiction and I had to go see. Um, um, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Like, that's why I bought Reservoir Dogs. Is I was like, oh, this motherfucker made 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 that movie. Um, so many little things about that movie just felt like they were not of this world. Like it felt. I was really into anime at the time, and you could tell that there there's anime in the movie. But you could tell that some of the shots that were chosen for that movie were clearly based on things were happening that were happening in anime. And you know, you see things. You know, there's a. Um, a different Akira. This is not the the uh, live action Akira. The animated Akira. Yeah. Um, you see a lot of the shots of her on the motorcycle. Akira, same same shots of him on the motorcycle. Um, things like that that were just very like Japanese. Like you know the the advertising being so big, it almost feels like uh, a little bit like um, damn, what's that one movie? Uh, I can't think of it. Blade Runner ish. Yeah. Or, you know, it feels a little Blade Runner ish. Um, I loved it. the The fight scenes, amazing. Everything about this Some movie, of the best fight scenes of all time. The opening scene just feels over the top, bright and colorful and lively. And you're about to see one of the most violent, brutal scenes. It stays live and bright and lively the whole time. I love it. Like every, th- I never seen something like that in in like in. In an, on a live action movie, that final battle scene where she's chopping dudes' heads off and arms that are just splattering like all <laughs> over the place, that's all from like what anime would have done. Yeah, and I feel like he, I want to say like, he, I mean, he, if you look at all of his movies, he's probably stolen so many ideas. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's Martin Scorsese, Sergio Leone, yeah, this is all over the yeah, place. I mean, yeah, the, cl- the guy has clearly seen tons and tons of movies and kind of makes them his own. Clearly, at this point, he was insp- inspired by like Japanese cinema, anime, different things like that. Like, it's, it's, it's all there. Like he, he fucking like, it's his most over the top movie. Yeah, I think it's like one of his most beautiful movies. I care about the characters. I care about the action. It's so fucking well done. It gives you clear motivation too, because I mean the the movie, and this is also going to be my number two as well, because we're on number two, right? Yeah, it's number two. And it's also my number two as well, so that's cool that we both yeah, landed, we the, landed same. On the same. I think we know each other's number one now. Yes. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I really appreciate, and I'm, I know I try to get my mom to watch these movies because she was concerned with what I was watching, you know, at two o'clock yeah. in the morning, you know, bef- you know, as I was going to sleep or whatever, right? And I remember telling her, she's like, well, why does it have to be so violent? Like, why does she have to get, you know, raped, um, you know, while she's, you know, unconscious, you know, because, you know, she's in a coma for like however many years or whatever. Right. Like, why does this all have to happen? Why does she have to get uh, why is her 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 dude 
try to murder her, you know, on her wedding day and whatnot. Like, why are all these, why does it have to be that way? And it's like to make you care about the ending mom, because like the whole movie is about her revenge. If it was just some simple slight, like, Oh, she called me a bitch. Like, you know, like that's chick flick movies, right? Yeah. Like this is some real shit. Like here is like a lady who's going through it. Right. She loses, she's pregnant. She thinks she loses her, her baby. Right. Uh, she's about to get married get that guy gets killed uh by her ex-boyfriend right and then yeah. she you know becomes goes into a coma she can hear everything that's happening and like dudes are coming into you know f- paying other the nurses or whatever so they can fuck her or whatever and like it's just like she's at the bottom of the barrel right here she's rock bottom right now and the whole movie is about getting her revenge and it takes you on that journey because you're like you you empathize with that character and you're like hell yeah like you need to ch- you fucking need to make that fine ass french bitch you need to make her a fucking quadruple you know a fucking torso or whatever who's the um Sophie Vidal yeah. she chops off her arms and her legs and shit. Like, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, you better do that. Like that Oren Ishii. Yeah, like this is going to be some badass shit because she fucked you too. And then the whole scene with Vivica A. Fox, I think this is genius because they have a whole like badass fight scene. And then she kills Vivica A. Fox in front of her child, which sets up a potential Kill Bill Volume 3 where there's been talks there's a lot of talks about that yeah yeah where the daughter now comes for her revenge and she even says it in the movie is like when you get older and you have ill feelings towards me and you want to take your revenge i'll understand and it's just like that's so beautiful like even if volume three never happens you could picture that movie in your head like here's this ultimate badass who killed all of her adversaries including bill like who's this fucking you know all-time badass who's by the way fucking king from kung fu or whatever right like it's just like this badass shit and she's like the ultimate badass and you know like somewhere down the line like this movie doesn't just end with her and her daughter you know driving off into the sunset right there's gonna there's gonna be some aftermath to all the carnage that she also done as well so it's genius in that respect too it's not like a fucking cinderella you know happily ever after movie like no there's very much there's gonna be some consequences at the end yeah, I absolutely loved it. I, I could not believe how good it was when 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 I left the theater. I was like, "This is fucking incredible!" Like, I need to see it again. I need to buy this on DVD. Like, I need to talk up to people about <laughs> this shit. So fucking well done, genius movie. And it's just like um, I was saying with Django. Like, if you're watching TNT and you you catch a scene, you know, like in the middle of the movie, I'm automatically stopping, you know, TNT. And I'm going to my DVD. I'm going to my Blu-ray. And I'm starting back from the beginning and watching it. And that was, like, the decision right there. With Django, like, okay, I'll just jump in and then, you know, watch it, you know, from whatever point I'm at to the end. But with Kill Bill, it's, like, one of those movies along with my number one where it's just like, oh, wait, no. I got to see everything. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, What's their number one? It's going to be Pulp Fiction, huh? Pulp Fiction, yeah. So Pulp Fiction, which I can't hate on. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's just, it almost just feels like a cop-out because that's like his most popular one. Yeah. The, when you think Quentin Tarantino, you think of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we have the same number one here. Yes, sir. Spoiler alert. Spoiler um, alert. Four Rooms. Is, <laughs> no, I'm, uh, no, I'm kidding. But before we get into that, do you want to talk about some of the movies that he actually, the badass movies he actually so wrote? One of my favorite movies that he wrote, and it's not on this list, is um, Natural Born Killers. I think Natural Born Killers, I would have loved to see what he had envisioned as a director for this movie. He wrote it. The dialogue's amazing. The story's amazing. Casting's amazing. Casting's well. amazing. I would have just loved to see what he had envisioned for this. 
Um, but it is one of Oliver my favorite. Stone. Oliver Stone directed it. Yeah. It is one of my favorite movies. Still one of my favorite soundtracks. But I would have loved to have seen his his vision of this movie oh definitely when i found out that he was the one that wrote this movie i was like yeah no shit yeah incredible <laughs> some of the characters overlap like seymour scagnetti you hear about seymour scagnetti again you hear he's he's mentioned in pulp fiction and he's his parole officer in in um he's the, he's the main cop in um uh, reservoir dogs right no no he, he's this he's a parole officer in reservoir dogs and he's the main cop in in uh natural born natural born killer yeah so kind of kind of cool it's kind of a cool little nod that there's still like little hints of that type of thing and, and that's one thing i appreciate about quentin tarantino is his world building like he has his brands like the apple red you know you know smokes and whatnot like all sorts of uh the dog food that he has like in once upon a time in hollywood like all of those things like carry over like yeah. from movie to movie like Big kahuna burger yeah a jackrabbit slims jackrabbit slims even um uh what's the girl from from Oh, damn it! The DJ from uh, from Death Proof. Oh yeah, Jungle Julia. Jungle Julia. She's a DJ in other movies. Yeah, so I was like, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. Like where all these movies kind of exist, like in the same world. It's like he did it before Marvel, <laughs> the yeah. Marvel universe. Did yeah, it. it's definitely Quentin Tarantino's world. Yeah, I, I I love that. Like even like in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like when you get to the end credit scene where. Uh, once again, Leonardo DiCaprio kills it where he's doing like a commercial for uh, Red Apple. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, he does the commercial, whatever. Like, and you're like, oh, yeah, like, fucking, he loves that fucking cigarette. It must be a badass cigarette. And then the commercial cuts. He's like, man, these things are fucking nasty as shit. <laughs> he fucking like puts it out. They think that's badass. And then there's True Romance. Um, true Romance, yeah. I heard that, that he sold the script to that movie to help finance Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, I already sold it for like. Forty dollars. <laughs> yeah, it was something. Cheap. It, it was really ridiculous. Like I, I'm not joking when I say about forty dollars. I, I think that's what he sold it for was for forty dollars. Yeah. So he was like literally like selling whatever he had to like make money off of it, which is crazy when you think about it. like it's like good true. investment though. I put him on the map. I was like, oh, who's this Quentin Tarantino guy? This Quentin Tarantino guy is writing good movies. Yeah. And I like I like True Romance. I mean, there's people that fucking absolutely love it not one of my favorite but just like natural born killers it would have been interesting to see what he would have done with it as a yeah. director or a producer yeah absolutely um let's get into our number one let's i mean it. it's no surprise actually our number one inglorious bastards it's a movie i saw in theaters i went on a date to go see this movie and i remember thinking this movie's a letdown. <laughs> like, legitimately, like, thinking, like, wow, this movie's not... I'm not impressed by this movie. It's kind of boring. It's got a few action scenes in it. Uh, I can do without. And then, for some reason, on a total whim, I decided to, like, rewatch it. And, like, I was, blown, like, literally blown away and on the edge of my seat, my seat the whole time. Like, uh, what's his name? Christoph? Waltz. Waltz. Um his performance is amazing. Like everyone's performance is amazing, but he definitely has the most like beautiful performance. That opening scene where he asked for the milk and amazing. Like I just, just creating tension. I, I'm getting the chills just thinking about like how good that performance is. Um, everything about the movie. I just, I love, I think there's a, there's a perfect amount of comedy. There's a perfect amount of like these beautiful shots that we hadn't seen in a while. Like, you know, you, 
Pulp Fiction had those moments where like you know I remember in Pulp Fiction when when he's unzipping the bag to get the needle out to like inject her in the heart like those flash cut scenes yeah there's like those little things he does that I remember there's a scene where like he's she she sits down with all the Nazis to have dessert the dessert the little pudding or whatever and yeah. they're putting the whipped cream on top and that scene like you know just that the shots of them putting the little thing together with the whipped cream on top I'm like this is beautiful like this right here like is what it's all about like yeah i care about like how beautiful that whipped cream is that you're putting <laughs> together like he just nailed it on, on like the weirdest little shots like that that just really matter that and shouldn't matter yeah it shouldn't matter but do matter and i'm just like i care about this more and to me this is what separates like the once upon times in hollywood where like i care more about the whipped cream scene than i do about like all the margot robbie <laughs> scenes and like it's just so well done. Like the whole thing of her putting on the makeup and the way it's kind of contrast to like a going into battle or whatever, where she's putting that, the red lipstick on her cheeks or whatever. I'm sure it has a different name and she's like smearing it to give herself rosy cheeks. Yeah. To me, like it's, she's about to go, you know, kill, kill Hitler Nazis, or whatever. Yeah. And like, really it's kind of like what a soldier would get ready to by putting like camouflage paint on their faces. And it's contrasted in that, in that world. And I say all this, and I haven't even mentioned the Inglorious Bastards, like that storyline. <laughs> yeah. And I just think like, that to me is just like genius that I care so much about this. And the Inglorious Bastards characters themselves are just like, oh my God, so fucking fun. Like, yeah. And what I appreciate too is like you take these actors, right? So last week, I don't know if it was on the Patreon or the regular episode. I believe it was the Patreon where we we're talking about like The Office and you know bj novak bj novak is in the inglorious bastards and then i believe there's like uh, an actor from like freaks and geeks in there but then you also get like eli roth uh in the inglorious bastards and whatnot like so it's like this this carnival of like random ass characters and whatnot and Django does this as well where um what's his name from Superbad? um Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill's in it as well. Like, where it's just like, oh, wow, these guys shouldn't be in here, but they I are. Mean, he's always kind of done that. I mean, he did that early on with Chris Tucker, where it's like, wow, is Chris Tucker in here? He's a comedian. And yeah. And it's like, well, watch. Well, yeah. And yeah. they knock it out of the park. And that the last scene, you know, where it's Brad Pitt and Christoph Waltz, Christoph Waltz uh, you know, where you know they he's successfully negotiated, like, his release and whatnot. And he goes, well, here's one thing. I appreciate Brad Pitt too in these roles as well because it's just like I never thought of Brad Pitt as like an excellent actor. Like he's always like the 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 fucking meat, <laughs> like the chip flicks or whatever, or uh-huh. the meat and once uh, uh, interview with a vampire. Like I will say that he's he got like, some great movies, man. He's got Paul. I'm Fi- oh, sorry, not Paul. Fi- <laughs> he's got um, Fight Club, Interview with the Vampire. Yeah, no, I'm not saying he was Seven. a bad actor, but I don't think like how he said Leonardo DiCaprio is like just this, this amazing actor, yeah. low key. Brad Pitt, like on like on a like on a, a lower note, just comes in and just knocks it out of the park as well. Where it's just like his character is so over the top, it it's almost like he does like a really bad accent, but it works here. Where he's just like you know all throughout the movie he's like I collect Nazi scalps or whatever, right? My my uncle was half Apache or whatever, and blah 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 blah. And at the end, like those like meaningless stories that he tell all culminates at the end where he's like, well. When you go to your fancy home in Nantucket, you're going to take off that Nazi that uniform. And nobody's going to know that you're a Nazi anymore. But here's one thing that, you know, and he gives and you. Like, and that just don't sit well with me. Yeah. yeah. 
and he carves like that fucking swastika in his head or whatever. Like it's just th- like it's just that that whole thing is just like oh wow, like all these little things that you were saying. There's a payoff to all of this. It like where you were saying like it shouldn't matter, right? These, these just sound like just throwaway lines, but it all comes together at the end to create like this great moment. Like I was saying with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where you're, you're smiling ear to ear because it's just like oh wow, like this is the perfect ending. I I yeah I do think that this this is his perfect ending movie um i think just that scene where she the the main girl is like burning the theater down mm-hmm. and you see the projector is basically being projected onto the smoke that's burning all the people beautiful scene like she's just laughing like as as they all die and sorry if i'm spoiling the ending we should probably put a spoiler alert to, yeah um, if you haven't seen these movies but just genius movie and you get a little history lesson as well on like why (laughs) it's so flammable why 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 that and that's such a like you could tell that he's been wanting to do that for a while because he's such a like movie nerd Mm -hmm. and apparently like i was watching this interview with um with rod rodriguez where like they they both own movie theaters that are inside their homes so they'll do like double features like they'll have people over dinner and show them like two features like they'll like make their own little grindhouse movies or whatever (laughs) and do double features and apparently like he owns like this giant bolt of like old school movies that are, you'll never find them unless you have like the reels, like the original reels or whatever. And he has those. And so, you know, he knows how flammable they are. Yeah. If he has them in his own home and a vault too. <laughs> yeah. So like to me, it's just like, Oh, you can tell he was dying to do like, Oh, killing people with movies kind of thing. Like yeah, that to me is like his ultimate, like, like take a bow kind of thing. Like that beautifully done. And like, it's, it's, I almost feel like this movie's not talked about that much. You know, people always bring up Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction or whatever, but this movie to me is like perfection, like absolute no, perfection. Even the that guy that plays the sniper, like the, the the Nazi hero, and you understand, like you understand his perspective. Like in his country, he is a hero, and like, but you under you also understand that He's she. A- yeah, he's a villain to her. Yeah. Yeah, and like so fucking like oh man, I'm just like so many lines are coming into my mind right now. That whole thing about like how the German sees himself as the eagle and like the reason why like the Jewish people are so hard to find is because they're more like a cockroach and you got to be able to think was it a cockroach or a rat? A rat. Yeah, you like, do you, yeah, it's like a rat and then you would be able to think of like a rat. Yeah, or the whole thing before that where he's just like if you had to see a squirrel you know, coming to your house, would you treat it with hostility? Like, and I'm yeah. doing a really bad German accent. Yeah, that's, that's more of a British accent, but. Yeah, and uh, he's like, no. And he goes, the only difference between a rat and a squirrel is their tail. And, and I was just like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Those are those things that, like, fucking stick with you for life. Because now when I see a squirrel, I'm like, oh, that's just a rat with a nicer tail. And then, like, um, God damn, like just Christoph Christoph Walsh just knocks it out of the park. Like, like yeah, it's absolutely. like the perfect pairing. It's like it's like Greg Popovich and Tim Duncan. It's like Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson. It's just like these are this is like a perfect pairing of like actor and fucking you know writer director. Absolutely, like I've seen him in other roles, but that character is just like. The, the he might wor- have, he might have been the worst bad guy, be- and the reason why he's the worst bad guy or like the most baddest bad guy of all time because it's just like he's not necessarily doing like you know you know uh, tapping his fingers together and you know plotting yeah. to take over the world or whatever. He's just killing you with kindness. Literally, he's so kind and so fucking um, 
what's the word? Um, I, he's charismatic. Correct. That's one thing. I also think that one of the things that makes him so scary is that everything is so matter-of-fact-ish. Uh, I think that you see, like, famous villains throughout history, right? You look at, like, a Darth Vader, but Darth Vader is very conflicted. There's a Passive-aggressive, that was the word, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that everything he's doing is very matter-of-fact-ish. He feels that the Nazi is a superior person and that he's doing almost God's duty here by killing the the Jewish people. And that, to me, is just, like, that opening scene alone is just like, oh, my God, this is a masterpiece of an opening scene. Like, uh-huh. the whole movie is a masterpiece. So I could watch that movie tonight and be like, wow. I might no, just watch it tonight. I know. I'm just, I'm, I just want to watch it tonight so bad now. But, um, yeah, it's just an incredible movie. I mean, if you haven't seen – we should have started by saying if you haven't seen Quentin Tarantino movies, just go watch them. But, yeah. like, again, the soundtrack – is amazing for this. There's like little homages to some of his other movies, which I think is great. Um, I don't know. I, I just love it. I, I love how like how he filmed. I don't know where they filmed some of these things, that old school theater that they have. It always remind, reminds me of like the, the Fox theater and like the yeah. old school, like cinemas or whatever. Like, Golden era. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I love that. I, I wish, I hope anytime you guys, anytime if you, get to go see a movie at the Fox theater. Like it's so much funner than going to like any other theater just cause it just has that cool vibe to it or like yeah. the El Capitan in LA or whatever it may be. Like there's something just really beautiful and nostalgic about those old theaters that you won't get at a fucking IMAX theater or whatever. Like, um, and I just, I see that theater and I just, I know that that, that must've been like a fucking wet dream for Quentin Tarantino to like film that there and have everything you know, Hitler's dying in this movie theater tonight. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, um, so in a nutshell, these are the top 10 movies according to art Jacob and vulture magazine. <laughs> um, but reality wise, like it, he's filmed nine movies. Apparently the, the rumor is, and he's kind of confirmed this rumor when he, even when he's on Rogan, he said that after his 10th one, he's going to retire. Um, does that mean he's going to, you know, go out tomorrow and start directing and writing his next movie. He said, no, I don't know when that's going to be. Um, but when the time comes, whatever next movie I'm going to do, it's going to be my last movie. And Rogan kept saying like, well, fuck, like you haven't put out a dud yet. You know, we just said it, you know, like hateful eight, like that might've, you know, been his worst movie. And like, it's still like better than like 99% of the, you know, directors out there. If like, that's your dud, like usually that would be like fucking somebody's crown achievement there, you know? Yeah. And he's like, you haven't put out a dud yet. Like why go out now? Like why? And he goes, well, the worst thing to do is to watch somebody and think like, man, like you're done. Like this, this is getting sad. You know, Conor McGregor just fought last night and broke his own ankle and shit. It's just like, it's time to hang it up, man. And one of my friends, he posted a picture of like, <clears throat> he's like, it was like Shaq on the Celtics, Akeem Olajuwon on the, the, the Raptors, Patrick Ewing on the magic. It's just like, it's sad to see people like, you know, on their last legs basically. Right. And he's just like, I never want to get to that point. And he goes, the idea is to always leaving the audience wanting more, you know? And like that, he, and it was just like, even that, like that whole thing is just like such a master struggle. He's just like, he said, he goes, we're in, we live in a society where they tell you you're done. But he goes, I don't want to live in that that world. I want to live in a world where, where when I'm done, I'm done. And I moved on to, like, writing novels. I'm writing comic books. I'm moving on to the next thing. Like, 
I might executive produce like a movie or whatever, but like once I get my 10 movies, that's it. Like we're finito. He's hyped up two movies his almost his entire career that he's been working on. Well, I guess the three, he, he said that he was working on an epic war movie. Um, I don't know if that was, that in fact was Inglorious Bastards. I don't know if that's what he meant when he said that he was working on an epic war movie. He didn't say like what he was working on. But he hyped up two other potential things. This is like things that he's been working on f- since forever. One of them was supposed to be like the Manson brothers, the Michael, M- sorry, not Michael. Oh, the Manson. Vegas. Vega brothers. Sorry, the Vega brothers of Vincent Vega and and, and um, Mr. Blonde. Yeah. Uh, doing like this weird thing where they go to Las Vegas and freak habit for 24 hours kind of thing. And that was supposed to be a movie that was like in talk since I was in high school. And I don't know if that's ever going to happen, especially since those two actors are pretty old now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if he can, and I don't think he would be pro CGI and young, young versions <laughs> of them. Um, and then the other one that he's talked about is that he wanted to direct a horror movie and he's never done that. So he's never done the, the full, unless death proof was his horror movie, which I don't know if that's what, he I don't know if you when. count that. I yeah. think he said that when he was doing, um, death proof, he's like, now I want to direct my like epic horror movie. And I was like, Oh gonna do a horror movie on his own but it never happened so yeah we got a bunch of other movies instead but whatever you do quentin i'm gonna be there for it this guy's gonna be there for it uh thank you for uh for the content today because this episode was supposed to be two different episodes and kind of <laughs> just fell on it so uh listen to the patreon if you want the the ba- behind the, the 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 backstage uh cheese man on that but with that said art do you have anything else you want to throw in there um no, <laughs> no. I mean, shout out to everyone that listens to this podcast. Shout out to the Podbelly. Shout out to all the Podbelly podcast. Shout out to Sofa King. That's it. That's all I got. Okay. Uh, so with that said, everybody, yes, we are members of the Podbelly Network. So if you like this podcast, you want to see, you want to hear other podcasts. Like, not all podcasts are on fucking YouTube right now. Uh, if you want to hear some other great podcasts, just go ahead and jump on over to Podbelly.com. Check out our brothers at the RRBG podcast where Aaron North, friend of the show, uh, recently was on the show. He gave us a healthy shout out over there. Hopefully we can make some some magic happen again and probably go out to L.A., get some big kahuna burger and talk about the chronic. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, But if uh, you want to hear some other great podcasts, go there. Uh, Make sure you check us out on all the social medias at ArtJacobDoAmerica, except for Twitter. We are at ArtJacobDoA1. Uh, go to our uh, merch shop at tpublic.com. Just search for Art and Jacob Do America. Uh, but with that said, shit, I don't think we have anything else to promote, right? That's it. That's all, all she wrote. So, guys, with that said, have a good night. Have fun at the movies. What is that from? I mean, where have you had this uh, this flair for references and then this uh, this way of well, that's layering... Just- that just comes from being Gen X, man. I mean, that was uh, that was the whole thing about like uh, about that generation is the idea that um, okay in the okay the, the generation before us that like lived through the '60s, they had the '60s, they had the accoutrement in the '60s, they had all that '60s music, um, and they looked down on the generation that grew up in the '60s uh, in the '70s. So, like, you didn't have that, any of that shit. You, you didn't have the music that we had. Well, maybe we didn't have the music you had. We had our music. But what we did have is we had television, 
We had the Saturday morning cartoons that we dug. We had Schoolhouse Rock. We had all the TV shows we liked. We had Speed Racer. We had all these kind of things. And they meant something to us. And, you know, um, kids back then who if their parents didn't let them watch TV at a certain point, well, the parents might have actually had like the best intentions, but they were actually robbing their children of the pop cultural glue that's going to tie them to their generation when they get older. Mm. And so, you know, we had the ABC movies of the week. I mean, we just, yeah, we had all that stuff and we had fucking great movies. If you're going out and seeing the movies of New Hollywood, we had all that. And so um, when we got older, it, it, it was about talking about that stuff. That was, that was what was worth talking about. And then to actually have characters in a movie talk about that, that was making them sound realistic. And to be specific about it. But, you remember that old sitcom? No, no, no. Talk about, no, you mean, you mean Alice, okay? <laughs> talk, yeah. about, you know, talk about Mel and Alice. Like this. It's like that and like this and like that, and it's like this. Then who gives a fuck about those? So just chill to the next episode.